0: Today on Crossroads in Culture, we're going to be looking at the early church's commitment to the fellowship among the believers and how their devotion to biblical community made much of the gospel and encouraged one another and influenced the culture in which they lived. It's something that today's church needs to hear, so we'll talk about that today on this episode of Crossroads in Culture. Welcome to another episode of Crossroads in Culture, where life, ministry, and culture meet. On the last episode of this podcast, we talked about how the early church was devoted to the apostles' teaching. And today we're going to be talking about how they were devoted to the fellowship. We find these practices or the spiritual disciplines, so to speak, of the early church in Acts chapter 2, and really throughout the book of Acts and continued throughout the New Testament. But I want to read to you Acts chapter 2, begin with verse 42. And just listen to what Luke writes and records as to what was the practice of the early church. I believe we would do well to practice these disciplines as well. This was not just descriptive, uh, describing what the church was like or did back in the first century. But I believe it's prescriptive as well, that what was taking place in first century ecclesiology of how they did church, of how it was functioned, how it functioned, We should be doing the same thing today. This this should be true of us as the body of Christ um, in the world. And so I'm going to read to you Acts chapter 2, begin with verse 42, and just listen to what, what Luke writes. He says, and they, talking about the believers, the apostles and the disciples, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together, and they had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings, and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. And what we're going to be focusing on in this episode. Is what the disciples were devoted to as it relates to the fellowship. What does it mean by being devoted to? The fellowship, I mean, are they just talking about, hey, after we get together for um, our corporate gathering, we're just going to have a potluck meal? Is it just sharing a meal? Uh, is that what they mean by this? Because when we think about a lot of churches, specifically in the Baptist tradition, that's what I grew up in, Southern Baptist, is that potlucks, man, was like, you had scripture reading, prayer, and then potluck. So that, that's kind of was the practice of, of the Southern Baptist churches that I've been associated with. And I love potlucks. I love I love good food. But it's much more than that. Um, the, the truth of the matter is is that we, as human beings, um, we've been created to live in relationship specifically with God and with others. And if you've ever really wondered about that, we see that even in the book of Genesis, how God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit relate to one another in relationship in the Holy Trinity um, as, as a matter of fact, in Genesis chapter one, when it says, "In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth," the word "God" when you when you see that word in the English language, it would appear as though God is it's singular that word. But in the Hebrew, the word is Elohim, and it's plural, which means in the beginning, God plural. Well, what is what is that speaking of? Well, it's speaking of the Trinity: God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Because we see later in Genesis chapter one where God's Word says, let us make man in our own image. And so it's referring to the Trinity. So God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit are relating to one another in in communion, in, in, in the Holy Trinity. And so it would just stand a reason when we look at the Scriptures that God has created us to be in relationship, first and foremost, with Him through His Son, Jesus Christ, and by His Spirit who dwells in us as believers— but also that we would relate to one another, that we would be in relationship with one another. We were never meant to do life or live life alone. We could look at Genesis and, and be able to, to, to see that even more clearly as well. But, but for just for the sake of time, when we look at the fellowship that the believers were devoted to, specifically in this, the book of Acts that it refers to in Acts chapter 2, it's talking about this, this Greek word for fellowship, the word koinonia, now you, you may have heard of that before. You may have heard that if you've grown up in church, you may have heard of talking about Koinonia fellowship. But what does that simply mean? Well, it it means biblical community, and I know that that phrase "authentic biblical community" gets thrown out quite a bit. And but but what does it mean at its core? Because this isn't just speaking again of of getting together and having a fellowship, right? The the word that's used here that I just shared with you, Koinonia, it means what it means that it, it, it included sharing a meal together, perhaps, but but it means so much more. This this is doing life together. In other words, there's a willingness to, to know people and to be known by people. There's no pretense. There's no mask. This is real life. It's not trying to patch up the broken places of your life so that people think you're something that you're not, right? This is not about appearances, but about true authenticity. And when you look at the life of the believers, that's absolutely what they were practicing. And we see that throughout the book of the book of Acts, um, being together and doing life together, being in relationship with one another, being in fellowship with one another, is what we see as a practice of the early church, and it should be a practice of the church of today. Because again, we've all been created for relationship—relationship relationship with God first, and relationship with others. I, I think it was uh, John Ortberg in his book uh, "Everybody's a Normal to Get to Know Them." Uh, he, he he shared this research that was that took place. Um, it was one of the most thorough research projects on relationships um, that's called the Alameda County Study. And it was headed, headed by a Harvard, uh, Harvard social scientist, um, and it tracked the lives of 7,000 people over, over nine years. Um, so it was a pretty extensive study. So over, over nine years, uh, they did this research, and they found that the most isolated people were three times more likely to die than those with strong relational connections. So people who had bad health habits, such as smoking, poor eating habits, obesity, and alcohol use, and by the way, we're not, you know, advocating that, but that but that's what the studies showed, that even people who had these bad health habits but had strong social ties lived significantly longer than people who had great health habits, but were isolated. In other words, it's better to eat Twinkies with good friends than to eat broccoli alone. That's that 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 would be what Ortberg would say. Uh, Harvard researcher Robert Putnam, he also notes that if you belong to no groups, but you decide to join one, then you cut your risk of dying over the next year in half. Interesting thought, right? There's another study as well that was reported in the Journal of the American Medical Association. Um, 276 volunteers were infected with a virus that produced the common cold. Now, First of all, I'm wondering, why would you even volunteer to do that? But apparently 276 people did that. And the study found that people with strong emotional connections did four times better fighting off illness than those who were more isolated. These people were less susceptible to colds, had less virus, and produced significantly less mucus than relationally isolated subjects. I'm not making this up, right? They produced significantly less mucus than relationally isolated people. So so that means... It is literally true that, that unfriendly people are snottier than friendly people. Now, that's what John Ortberg would say as well. So, But the fact remains in these studies, it, it does give a good indication. It, all it does is validates what God's Word has said all along, which is we're created to be in relationship with God and with other people as well. Now, the thing about the fellowship, when I look back at the Scriptures— I really think that we can see how the disciples pressed into one another, and the Scriptures bear this out, holding each other accountable, speaking the truth to one another in love. You look in Ephesians chapter 4, and it really does talk a whole lot about what does it look like to to live in unity as believers in Christ. And I think it really can be summed up in chapter 4, verses 15 and 16, when Paul writes, he says, rather, speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in every way into him, referring to Christ, who is the head from whom the whole body, talking about the believers, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. And that's really the result of being a part of the fellowship and being devoted to the fellowship, to koinonia, is us building up one another in Christ. And we look at today, I mean, for those of you who are listening, maybe you grew up in church and you found yourself wounded by the church. You you've been part of churches where there were church splits, people arguing, getting upset over some of the most trivial things, the color of carpet. Um, you know what color is the padding on the pews going to be? And 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 some of you may be thinking that sounds far fetched, and you would think so. But the reality is, those things actually happen. Whether or not that I know there are some churches who fight over the fact of taking down the what we used to call the Baptist scoreboard, like how many people were in attendance for Sunday school, how many people were in worship, um, how much money was given. You know, there have been arguments over do we take these down or do we not take these down? Well, we can't take these down because it was dedicated to so and so. I mean, and, and so all of these things. It's amazing how the enemy will take little things that are insignificant and use them to drive massive wedges within the church. These 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 huge issues. And it ought not be this way. But the enemy is going to do everything he can to derail the church from focusing on who we've been created to be as the body of Christ, as people, and as the body of Christ, but also the mission to which God has called us as the church to be salt and light in this world. And so when we look at this, they were devoted to the fellowship and they were willing to press in, speaking the truth in love. And quite honestly, I don't know that we see whole lot of that today in the church, generally speaking. Now, I know that, that that happens in some churches, but oftentimes what I've seen is that people would rather not say anything, not speak the truth in love because they don't want to offend people. Well, that's not being devoted to the fellowship. That That's trying to 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 maintain and and to preserve what you think is good and what you think is healthy, when in reality, it's not good or healthy at all. And so being devoted to the fellowship, that's what the early church was committed to, and we need to be committed to that um, as well. Um, and, And part of that, what that looks like, is really being willing to get to know each other and being known by other people. At the core, I believe that we all want to be known, but the reality is we fear if we tell people the struggles we go through and what's taking place in our life We fear that if we say that, we're going to find ourselves rejected, isolated, ostracized, or even kicked to the curb, so to speak. But the truth of the matter is we want to be known by people, and we want to know people as well. There's a strong relational connection within us because God's created us that way. And so the question becomes, as the body of Christ, as the church, are we cultivating a culture within the body of Christ where people can share the things they struggle with? And not that those things that are sin become accepted in the sense that we condone them, but that we lovingly point people to the truth where we are able to confess our sins to God, that we're able to confess to one another and repent of our sins so that we begin to grow in our walk with Jesus and in unity with other believers in Christ. So when when we look at this, when you're willing to allow others to get to know the real you, that's when you're able to truly be yourself. You don't wear a mask. You don't Walk into the church and try to pretend to be somebody because you want people to like you, even though it's not the real you. Um, but you paint a false version of yourself, and all the while you're just longing to be able to be authentic. Well, the body of Christ should be the place where we're able to be the most authentic with one another. Um, and so when we when we are when we're willing to allow others to get to know the real us, the real you. That's when you're able to be, truly be yourself. Um, now, when you look at again the church in the early church, there was this unity that they had, and we we see that spoken of in the scriptures quite often. Um, in in Acts chapter two, verse forty four, it says, "All who believed were together, and they had all things in common." So, authentic biblical community or the fellowship or koinonia that we that I've been talking about um, is is a really it's a result of spiritual unity these group of believers had—they were together, they were unified, they had all things in common. And that doesn't mean that they had, like, common interests in certain foods or, you know, the the type of clothes that they wore, the sandals they wore, or whatever. Um, This was like they had all things in common in the sense that they didn't hold on to what they had as though— It was just for them. Now, don't misunderstand me here. This was not advocating communism or socialism, where it's like I have stuff and I have to give it to somebody else and redistribute that. That's not what this is saying. In the scriptures, they they were able to to keep their stuff and and do what they wanted to with their stuff, but because of this desire to want to meet the needs of one another and to be into in the in the fellowship, to be devoted to the fellowship, they were willing to say, you know what, I, I. I want to give this so it might meet the needs of other people it it spurred it it, it, it spurred on or it fuel it fueled generosity and so so when you look at this they had all things in common um, you could say that they had all things in common when it were when it re- came to the essential beliefs, essential doctrine beliefs and even in today's church, I mean we see some people, who they can't even even agree on the essential doctrines. There are people within the same church who may say, you know what, I I believe God's Word is the infallible, inspired, and errant Word of God. And then there are other people maybe within the same church who say, you know I don't know if if I believe that's really true or not. There are some who would say, you know, it's essential that we believe that Jesus Christ is the only way to have a relationship to, with God the Father, He's the only way that we can truly be saved. It's only through Jesus, and there may be some people within the same church who would say, "You know, what? I don't know. If I believe that's true. I think that you probably could have other ways that you could be saved." And there's this sense of syncretism, right? Other beliefs that you can put together, and and that's your spiritual path. I've seen that happen in in a sa- in the same church, or maybe some would say, I, "I just I believe Scripture is very clear when it comes to the issue of the sacredness of life, a- abortion." In the same church, we may have some people who would say, I don't know if I believe that's true. I I think that a woman can have an abortion and there's nothing wrong with that. Yet when you look at the scriptures, God says very clearly, yeah, that's wrong. It's taking a life. But within the same church, you could have disagreement among among doctrines or the essential essential doctrines. But we see this uncommon unity within the body of Christ in the early church in, in particular. Now, whenever we are not unified, it distorts the gospel, right? A lack of unity regarding the scriptures, as I've kind of referred to, or a lack of unity regarding obedience to God, or a lack of unity in our relationship with one another, um, it distorts, it really does distort the gospel. But when you see the New Testament church, they had their issues. Obviously, we look at the issue with with Ananias and Sapphira. We look at the issue where they were overlooking meeting the needs of of some widows in, in their church. Um, there were there were issues they had they had some problems just go back and read Paul's letter to the church at Corinth man they had some major issues but the reality is is that they held together in this common faith that they had and they dealt with these issues um, and so so there's this sense of unity because they were they had a spiritual unity as well in Acts chapter two verse thirty two Luke writes this he says now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. I find that interesting how he wrote that statement, because Luke understood the mindset of the Greek or the Hellenist culture in which they lived, and, and this, this would have spoken loudly to them. It's Them seeing the church and how they responded to one another and were devoted to the fellowship, how they lived life together, this would have been completely obvious and make sense to the Hellenists. Uh, in that day and time. Because the philosopher Aristotle's ideal of friendship, which Aristotle lived you know, years and years before the New Testament church was established, but his ideal of friendship was described in similar terms, this phrase pentacone, it means everything in common. And he also used the phrase suke," which means one mind. And, he, and Aristotle would explain that true friendship shared a sense of unity as one soul dwelling in two bodies that was the phrase that he would use that friendship was one soul dwelling in two bodies and what aristotle held as an ideal was actually being lived out among the followers of jesus because of the indwelling presence of the holy spirit and i think when luke was writing this he he probably understood that the people in that day and time because of the influence of aristotle and other philosophers specifically aristotle in this sense that people seeing the New, the New Testament church, the believers, and how they were devoted uh, in the fellowship, there was they were seeing that they were living as though they were one soul dwelling in, in two different bodies. In other words, they were unified. So I don't want to make a lot of Aristotle, but what I'm saying is that the culture of that day, when they saw the church living in unity, in unity with God and in unity with, uh, with, with each other— they would have. They would have. It would have been like an aha moment for them, and I think that that's what made the believers in Christ how they were living um, so uh, influential in so many ways, and in some cases became the disdain for many people within the Jewish community uh, and even the Roman government. Um, but they were unified. The believers in Christ were, were unified. But but this is exactly what Jesus prayed for his disciples. It's the same thing that Jesus has prayed for us as well. Listen to what Jesus writes in the Gospel of John chapter 17. He said this, he said, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you've given me, I've given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. I and them, and you and me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. That was Jesus's prayer. I mean, there's nothing. This, this is not New Age thought. This like, you know, we're just going to have this oneness and the sense of some kind of New Age philosophy. No, Jesus was saying that he wanted the disciples, for us as believers, to be one in Christ. And as we were one in Christ, that relationship, our relationship with Jesus, would influence and affect our relationship with one another. That the same unity we have with Christ, it would be it would be uh, evident in our relationship with other people that. We we would be united around the truth of God's word and his ways, and that we would be one with God in Christ Jesus. It doesn't mean we're God. It just means that we are in unity in relationship with him. And so Jesus is praying this, and he gives a reason for this. He says, I'm praying this because, so that the world may believe that you've sent me. So in other words, it was through the unity that Jesus had with his Father and the unity that believers will have with one another in Christ, that the world will believe that God has sent His only Son Jesus. There's something gospel centric to us walking in unity and being devoted to the fellowship as believers in Christ. He reiterates that again at, at the at you know close to the end of this this passage where he says he says I'm praying that they become perfectly one or united in spirit, so that so that the world may know that you sent me, and that the world may know that you've loved them even as you've loved me. Man, how incredibly amazing is that, that God says, I'm going to display my love for people, my love for believers, my children, the children of God, but I'm also going to display my love for people who are not the children of God, who are not believers yet, who are not following after me and my ways, who've not put their faith and trust in me. Through the unity of believers, I'm going to display to them how much the Father loves them as Christ is at work through believers. And it's it's so good because th- that's that's how we're gonna reach the world for the sake of the gospel, is by living in unity with Christ, that we are being obedient to him as we submit our lives to him. And as we live in unity with other believers in Christ. One of the greatest turnoffs to the church uh, by, that the culture sees is when when we're fighting amongst ourselves. We can't even agree on the essentials. What kind of witness is that? It doesn't make sense. You know football season's coming up, and I love football. I'm a huge Razorback fan, Arkansas Razorbacks. For those who are listening in other states, or you know, and so I'm I'm so excited about football. I love football, but it be like, it would be like going to a football game, and you're watching your team, and 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 they're on offense, and the quarterback gets the ball, and he gives it to the running back, and all of a sudden, one of your offensive linemen turns around and tackles his own player. You, you would be livid. You'd be like, what in the world is this guy doing? It just doesn't make sense. And so whenever we as the church begin to fight, it's, it's, it's just like that. It's like we're tackling our own person, our own uh, somebody on our own team. It ought not be that way in the body of Christ. We should be united in spirit. Paul talks about this when he writes to the church at Philippi, and he says in verse or chapter 1, verse 27 of Philippians, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you're standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. And that really should be indicative of the church. It was indicative of the early church, even though they probably didn't do that perfectly all the time, and it should be indicative of the church of today. And here's why. Here's why it's so important that we are devoted to the fellowship. We're devoted to koinonia, doing life together, being known by one another, knowing one another, walking in step in the Spirit of God, being unified. It's because unity within the body of Christ, it visibly communicates the heart of the gospel. And when it visibly communicates the heart of the gospel, that type of unity has incredible influence for the sake of the gospel, um, there's a story about a bridge in France, the Angers Bridge, and in 1850 it collapsed when a, when a battalion of French soldiers, um, when they were crossing, uh, marching in cadence and I mean, just you know kind of in rhythm, so to speak, and the resonant vibrations caused the collapse of this bridge, and it killed over 200 of these soldiers. There was an incident that was similar to this that first happened actually in England when some British. Uh, soldiers were crossing the Broughton Bridge in 1831. And since those incidents had happened, um, armies are commanded now to break step when they're crossing bridges. And the reason why is because there is power, there's incredible power and influence when we're walking in unity. So when we as believers are devoted to the fellowship and we're walking in unity, we have incredible influence. And so I think the question becomes is, are, are we devoted to the fellowship as the body of Christ? Do we have this uncommon unity that the world is looking at and seeing? And I believe that when we devote ourselves to this type of fellowship, that this becomes a practice in our life as the body of Christ, the world begins to see this. There are going to be those who criticize, absolutely, but those whom God is drawing to himself by and through his Spirit, they will see something different about the church, about believers. And I believe God will draw them by His Spirit to Himself. And so so, what are you doing as a, father, a follower of Christ, if you are, what are you doing to be devoted to the fellowship? How are you helping cultivate unity within the body of Christ in which you um, are fellowshipping, that you're part of? Are you really seeking to get to know people and are you yourself willing to be known by others you know there there is vulnerability with that and and I don't think that we just throw caution to the wind and we tell everybody everything about our life there has to be discretion and there has to be spiritual discernment in that but the truth of the matter is we often try times we'll we'll see where the spirituality is faked it's just not authentic and so and so I th- I think it's important for us to, to really ask ourselves this question. Ask God really to let Him examine our hearts to see if we are devoted to the fellowship, that we are, that we are spending time in God's word, and that we are getting to know other people um in a way that is authentic and allowing other people to know us authentically. And are we helping cultivate a culture within our churches where we can share in that way and not just share our our struggles? And, our, and the temptations, but also share our joys and the, the the things that God's doing in us and meeting one another's needs, being generous to one another, um, ministering to those in the community uh, in which we live, outside of the biblical community. H- are, how are we doing that? Are we doing it well? You know my hope would be that, that you are in a church like that and if for some reason you're experiencing some difficulties and struggles in that, I would encourage you to ask God, um, to give you really clear direction as to how you can help be part of cultivating that type of, of culture within the body of Christ in which you are a member of. Um, so, so my encouragement to us is this, that we would be devoted to the fellowship for the sake of the gospel. Um, and so with that, I hope it encourages you and challenges you today. And if it does... I would ask that you would share this on your social media platforms, share it with your friends, because we want to see the body of Christ come together and be unified and be devoted to the fellowship. That's how we can rediscover God's design for his church. Thanks so much for listening. And I look forward to you joining me next time on Crossroads and Culture.